Welcome to episode 23 of Uncontained. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render. And on the show today, we have a comedian out of Los Angeles, California, who performs regularly at the Hollywood Improv, the Hollywood Laugh Factory, and the world-famous comedy store, Corey Polster. In this episode, we talk about how Corey got into comedy, what Corey's had to give up, and what he's put comedy in front of in order to get to where he's at, and some great advice on dominating bringer shows. But first, I got a little clip for you of Corey Polster from a set he did recently in San Diego. Then we'll jump into episode 23 of Uncontained with Corey Polster. Yeah, so, uh, apparently everyone's racist again. You guys notice this? Like, you turn on the TV and everyone is... Like, me, I'm not racist, okay? I don't judge people by how they look or how they sound. I'm not afraid of somebody because they're different. Except for Russians. No, because hear me out. Because Russians are fucking crazy. You know what the scariest thing you can hear in a dark alley is? What seems to be horrible. Because Russians aren't like other people, you know? You fucking step on an Italian guy, she's like, hey, what the fuck's your problem? Russians, they don't show any emotion. They'll be like, here, that's it, let's discuss issue like men. I get a fucking machete. Russians, great at murder, terrible at advice. You want some bad advice? Get into an Uber with a Russian driver. I got into a, an Uber with a Russian driver. And uh, I had just gotten in a fight with my girl at the time. So I get in, I'm all flustered, and that's when I hear, well, it seems to be rolled. But <laughs> <laughs> announce yourself. So I tell them they're going to die. So I say, oh, you know, I think my girl wants to see other people. I think we're done. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. This is what he said. He goes, it's okay. You know, what goes around happens again sometimes. <laughs> Listen, I wasn't born tomorrow, I know this, okay? You can eat horse to water, but this does not make it seahorse. Like, what? <laughs> now you're just making shit up. I know, I know who's responsible for all this shit, by the way. All the racism in America. You guys know who I'm thinking of, right? You guys, you guys know who I'm thinking of, right? Say it with me. Maury Pitt, Oh, he's... <laughs> How's it going, Corey? Oh, it's going great, man. How you doing, Aaron? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. Yeah. It was uh, it was quite quite the challenge to get this interview up and running because yeah. of yes. technical difficulties and all that stuff. But we fought through it. Uh, so, did I miss anything in the intro? Could you uh, let the uncontained listeners know a little something about yourself? Uh, you know, um. I think you pretty much nailed it. I've performed uh, all throughout the country. I've been doing comedy for, oh my God, since I was 17. So I'm terrible at math. That's why I'm a comedian. So I'm 34 now. So from when I started from 17 to 34, we'll let the, the calculators out there do the math there. Um, yeah, you've so, been doing it like this many years, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, this many. So yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a long time and uh, it hasn't been easy. But other than that... Um, I didn't start here. I moved here when I was 20. Uh, I got in a lot of gotten a lot of heat with my grandmother and my parents. I'm Catholic, and uh, I got accepted to some colleges and refused to go. 
and decided like after I won a couple competitions that I was going to LA. And um, once I got down here, you know, as, as parents and grandparents do, they, they ended up funding it because they, they weren't going to let me, you know, like live in the streets, but it was yeah. the best decision I ever made. Uh, really Where did was. you move from? Uh, Sacramento, California. And, and, and I started doing comedy in Sacramento and the Bay. And what I did was, just so you know, um, uh, I, I took a class, um, and, and we'll get into my very first show uh, if you want to in a second. But um, Yeah, of course. I, I took a class um, thinking, first of all, you, there is no book. There is no class. There is, there's, no, there's no way you can learn to be a comedian other than being funny and getting on stage. That's how it works. There's no shortcut. Like, you know, Louis C.K. Uh, will tell you he was awful forever. And then you just keep getting up there and you just learn how to be. And Jay Leno has one of the greatest quotes ever about stand-up comedy. He says, you will be the best comedian you will ever you will possibly ever be when you become who you are off stage, on stage. Which means w- oh, when, wow. when you become Aaron in the living room getting your friends weak on stage and not like when you first start doing comedy okay hey how you guys doing i just flew flew in from detroit boy my arms are tired you know where you're like (laughs) your fate you're doing a a, your impersonation of what a comedian looks like and but it's not you it's not who you know what i mean it's like um it's 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 inauthentic and it's contrived but when when you do it long enough and i'm sure if you've watched enough um not a lot of people uh, support enough live comedy, but they should. They uh, the the problem is is they think by just watching Netflix specials or um, you know Comedy Central, it's not the same. It's like if if I told you I saw Michael Jackson's fiftieth anniversary special, but then I told you I saw Michael Jackson live in like nineteen eighty three after Thriller came out. Like there would Big be a difference. huge difference. difference. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, that might be a bad <laughs> person to use right now for what's he, what he's going through. But uh, um, still, there's nothing taking away like from what he did I in the past as far as like what he's achieved. Yeah. He turned into one weird, weird, weird man. Yes. yes. But uh, but. He was the king of pop and oh, yeah. kind of still is even after dying. Well, it's funny. I'm, I met my best friend. I'm a huge uh, San Francisco Giants fan, and he's a huge Dodgers fan. Uh, he, I'm a huge uh, MJ fan. He's a huge Prince fan. And, and even though we're best friends, we, we used to have this argument, and we finally came to the conclusion, look, Mike was singing since he was five, and he, he was the greatest entertainer uh, and is a singer but you know what when it came to a musician prince has it like prince would pe- would grab a, uh an instrument from whoever was playing it and then play it better than them <laughs> like yeah yeah he could play something like 27 yeah. instruments i think oh, the I, number was i i could be making that number up but it's time, around that yeah, yeah. he play the oboe he would play like he would he would like go to like like australia and like learn how to play those instruments that the uh, I forgot what is it called those that the, the Aborigines play <laughs> that, that a didgeridoo. Yes, <laughs> like a didgeridoo. He, yeah, he would probably play <laughs> a didgeridoo better than an Aboriginal like elder, and they would be like, "Holy shit, 
Prince you'd is be amazing. playing purple rain on a didgeridoo. Uh, uh, yeah, and they would that. be like, "Holy shit, you are amazing!" Like, yeah, exactly. He was just <laughs> like that. He was just, I mean, but you know, that's see, that's the thing that I'm glad we could say this because the way I feel about Michael Jackson, I can still sit here and tell you about Prince being amazing as he is, and that's the same thing with comedy. Like um, when you get in this game, it's it's heartbreaking sometimes because there are some vicious fucked up people that um that like as soon as you're funny man that's when they start being like when i first got to the comedy store everyone was nice to me until i went on stage and i killed it and mitzi shore saw me and she basically um it's called being made but um you you eventually become a paid regular i'm not a, a paid regular there but um basically you get a pass to perform there and um uh, as soon as that happened, all the other comics that were not all of them, ju- just the ones that were at the same level I was, they started, you know, it was like, co- it was like high school. It was like cold shoulder. Um, you know, I heard rumors. Uh, th- so there was a story of, um, there was three guys in the kitchen. I'll leave names out of it. Cause I don't want to start any shit, but there was three guys in the kitchen and they were standing around talking about how Corey get made. And, um, a very famous comedian who hosts there all the time, uh, was standing back there and he goes, shut the fuck up. He's funnier than all three of you put together. And, and the producer <laughs> was back there and he told me the story and he's not a liar. He's like, he, and, and, and it just made me feel good. Cause I, cause I was taught, I was pretty close with the, with the, uh, um, the, the, the producer of, of the comic, he was a, like a talent manager. Um, of, of the comedy store at the time. He's not there anymore. But, um, you know, he could see that I was, um, it was hard. It was hard because I thought, like, I I was doing so well, but people were so, you know, vitriol. <laughs> I mean, they, they were, they're, they're, you know, like, it was like comics. It, the weird thing with comics, and, and sure, I'm sure you can attest to this, is there's, there's two types of comics. There's a, a lot of times the comics that make it, the ones that make it, um, they don't have anything to fear from you. Like when I open for Nick Swartzen yeah. or like any, any big, like Bobby Lee, they've made it. I'm not a threat to them, you know? So, so, but when, when, uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's a really hard thing that when, uh, well, comics, like I, if I see a funny comedian that's like young and they're up and coming, I'm like, Oh, I see what he did there. Oh, that's that's great. But I might not be falling out of my seat laughing. Like, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's funny. I'm just more like, oh, yeah. well, I see what he did. But um, mm-hmm. but then there are, but there are the other kind of comedians that are just like, it's, if if they think like it's it, this is this is this is true. I have a lot. I'm I already have a lot of black friends. My best friend's black. I'm not just saying that like a lot of white people to sound sure cool. Sure he is. Sure he is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny. I, I actually have a joke about like people that, that that like use it as like a cool card. Like, okay, if you know what cocoa butter is and, and you know that you have to like keep combing your hair to get waves, then you have black friends. Like, because I grew up like in black households where I know every cabinet has cocoa butter because you know it's an old remedy that like anyways my point is is that um i the reason why i feel like i click with black comics is because there's almost like well we're not going to be in competition for the same 
type of role, like because I don't talk about what it's like being a black comic, and a lot of black com- that is true. comics will talk about like growing up in the hood, or or not saying all black people grow up in the hood, but 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 they have different experiences, like with cops or with. That's why it drives me crazy when I hear right wing Republicans act like there's no racism or or that black people or black lives matter. What about white lives matter? It's like, look, dude, you don't know the systemic racism, and I'm not not trying to go off on some diatribe. I about- actually saw something that uh, made perfect sense for the people who don't understand the black lives matter thing. It was a uh, a little cartoon strip it was like it started out the two people talking yeah i think all lives matter and i was like this guy's like yeah all lives do matter but here all houses matter all right here's a house and then the house next to it's on fire okay right. the house the house that all houses do matter but the one that's not burning doesn't need the water to doesn't need to be focused right. on right now so that that like made it completely clear to me too because of I'll admit, maybe the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, yeah, I think all lives matter, dude. I wasn't trying to be, like, ignorant or, like, kind of, you know, a dick about it, but I was, like, not seeing it for what it was. Aaron, Aaron, and to go with your same point, I I saw, like, some meme, it was, like, saying all dogs matter doesn't mean all cats don't matter it's just saying look uh or like uh, i'm a you know i own a pit bull i'm a huge um uh i love pit bulls i feel like pit bulls are are the uh, uh the, the they're like the, they have like the system the systemic racism of dogs when um i walk <laughs> around with my pit bull uh she's i got her registered as a an emotional sport so i fly with her and when i walked her through lax it was hilarious because people there's me walking through and i'm i'm a comedian and i'm a people watcher and i love like i like pissing people off sometimes but i love also seeing their their visceral reaction to something like that like a pit bull walking through lax and um and 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 my whole point about that is is that um these these dogs uh it doesn't mean like i'm 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 all about rescuing pit bulls and and getting people to to understand they're not there there's no such thing as a bad dog there's just bad owners that teach them to fight okay well exactly my whole point with the with the black lives matter is is it's for it's like uh, it's it's they're fighting because of the injustices that they face. I mean, it's impossible for for people. It's it's it blows my mind the arguments that, that some of these people like actually believe because it's like you don't know what it's like being black. Like I I don't. But uh, here's here's the story. I I I walked um, into a Target with my best friend who's black, and as we were walking in. Uh, you know, we were just doing our shopping, we were talking, and then we all of a sudden hear, uh, aisle something, aisle something, uh, and then, you know, then there's, like, a security, he, like, basically followed us throughout the whole store, and, like, I, me being white, and, and, and my best friend Danny being who he is, just used to it, and, like, I, I was, like, pissed, like, I'm gonna write my senator, you know, shit white people say, <laughs> like, you know, like, like, like a black person would never be like, I'm gonna write my senator, like, they're gonna be like, no, man, like, this happens to me all the time, and, you know, the Freakonomics, uh, Freakonomics had had that great, it was a great book, 
but they had that thing that if there was a um, and I just saw I think it was on Daily Show or whatever. But if if there was um, a Corey Polster, well, I don't know. That, that might sound like a black name to some people. But like if there was like a Tom Jones resume and then like a Jamal Jenkins and they were the same resume, same school, everything. Ninety nine percent of the time, if it, it uh, the Tom Jones got picked. Yeah, you're telling me. You're telling me that like, oh, oh, uh, you know, everyone has the same opportunity. No, no they don't. And that's I, I mean, I know this is getting we're getting pretty deep here. But the truth of the matter is, is it really like with comedy, especially. And this is this is one thing people listen to comedians. We're the last people to get a microphone um, and people listen to us, uh, uh, you know, radio for sure. But um, yeah, but 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 radio isn't always funny. So I get to, what I get to say is, uh, and, and uh, people on radio do too. If it's like a, a funny a podcast or radio or whatever, we get to say things like, "I can walk on stage in front of a, a, a full crowd and be like, I fucking hate you. I hate all of you,' and they'll just start laughing. And I could mean it, like I fucking hate every single one of you. I want to punch you in your face. No, like no politician can do it. No musician. No one can do that. Actually, I'll tell yeah, metal bands, metal bands, right? They can do that. But they can go up and just degrade the audience, and they cheer, right? But but, they're, they're but I get your point. I just had to be they're, devil's well, advocate but, no, for a and, second. And let me be devil's advocate to that. Um, first of all, they're masochists. But second of all, um, they're nobody's going to listen to their political views. Like you know, even even if you had like a. Um, um, one of my favorite bands of all time, and I can't remember the name, Rage Against the Machine. You know, they, yeah. they would do, but I mean, come on, dude. I didn't listen to, to like their political views. I was like, you, you know, I was fucking jamming out. Went, Killing in the name of. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Killing in the name of. I mean, by the way, can we talk about the greatest combination band ever is the singer from Soundgarden and the band from Rage Against the Machine becoming. Uh, audio, slave. audio slave that is like on that's like the most creative genius thing I'd ever that because that shit was amazing. Like, I'm trying to, I always try to think in my head, like, what other like lead singer and then like band because you can't really do it with hip hop, like, because you could always say, Oh, what if Kanye, you had Kanye, but then you had um, him produce Eminem's album. Well, he produced you know a song or two right, so it doesn't work the same yeah. with hip-hop but like i've um <laughs> it's funny uh this is something i want to talk to you about by the way uh aaron and i hope i hope you're with me on this i don't know all right let's hear it let's hear it. what's on okay. what's on your mind okay so me and my buddies uh or me and my buddy uh adriel um the same one that's a, a, a prince fan and i'm an mj fan we used to have this discussion that like uh this was back in the day when um Right after uh, Ben Affleck and um, Matt Damon won their Academy Award for, for, for Good, Good Will, Will Hunting. Hunting. Yes. And we used to have this discussion that like we felt like Matt Damon probably wrote that movie and Ben Affleck typed it. And like and like <laughs> and because because all the movies Matt Damon did after that were fucking unreal. They were all good. Like from Born movies to you name, even his shitty movies that you thought were gonna be shitty, like the one directed by De Niro, was a good movie. Um, and then like, and then you had Ben Affleck that was doing Reindeer Games in Hollywood Land, and then and so we were like, okay, so there's no, so I bet since their best friend Ben Affleck like typed it while while Matt was making up 
all these great ideas, and he had the lead, you know, part in it. But yeah. then all of a sudden, Ben Affleck started writing, uh, directing his own movies with the town, um, amazing, um, Gone Baby Gone, amazing, um, Argo. He won an Academy Award. I really liked it. I actually liked the other two better. Um, and and I actually didn't hate him in Batman. I didn't like the Batman movie, but I thought he was a pretty badass Batman. He looked like a dope. I bat. have not seen that yet. One thing I will say about Bat Affleck is bat he Affleck. has the yeah Bat Affleck is he has the Batman chin. He, yeah, he has the chin, dude, and he he totally and that's that's ninety nine percent of it. And Henry Cavill or whatever as Superman, like he's not exactly the greatest actor in the world, but like I he is Superman. He's like six foot. See, that's the problem is is pe- what people don't realize, and I'm gonna nerd out here. Is Superman was six five. He because he was an alien. Um, so um, I actually I could be wrong. Uh, Henry Cavill could, might only be like six one or six two. But um, that's why I love when they originally cast um, Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves was like six five, and and in the comics he's six five. Like he was a big big dude, and that's yeah. why he would slunt like hump over or whatever. But my whole point, um, going back to the to that movie is you're not you should wait for it to come out. Um, you know you can come over and watch popcorn and we'll cuddle on the couch. But it's not that. All right, it's I not, call it big spoon. <laughs> I little spoon in the spoon drawer. I love it. I'm good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, he his role like he. I mean, it's a fucking, it's a fucking action. I mean, it's not like Argo or, or something like that where it's like, you're playing, I'm going to kill you. Like, come on. People can hate the director for, for not writing a good movie, but people love tearing um, Ben Affleck down. And I used to, I used to, okay. I used to have this joke where I would be like, fucking me or having sex with me is like a Ben Affleck movie. It's long, it's boring. And the whole time you wish it was Matt Damon, but it doesn't work anymore. (laughs) Because Matt Damon's actually good now, and he's making better movies than uh, Matt Damon. I mean, I we bought a zoo. I fell. Asleep. I mean, he was all. About, I mean, don't get me wrong. The Martian and the new Bourne movie. He might be back to his old roots, but for a while there, yeah. he was doing a, like Promised Land. He was doing a lot of like, oh, I I want to like change the world movies. Like, come on, dude. Like, kick some ass. Like. But I, I think, hear you. I hear you. I think we need to lay off uh, Ben. Uh, Ben Affleck a little bit. I think I think he's had a hard life. I mean, you know, Jennifer Lopez and he's, you know, that's got to be traumatic <laughs> right there. But uh <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to you a little bit. Yeah, all right. right. You mentioned earlier your first show. Uh you said My you had a big subject, story by for the you. way. My favorite subject is me. <laughs> well, right on. Let's talk about it, damn it. Um that's why you're on the show. Yes. Um I'm I'm sure Ben Affleck appreciates your campaign yes. to have people get off of his back and shit. <laughs> but what what happened with your first show? How did that pan out? Okay, so this is this is uh, this is pretty this is a pretty fun story to tell. Um, and uh, I I this is actually really fun. I want to do these like weekly. This is better than therapy, by the way. Like the <laughs> you know like very uh, very very few times do I get to just sit there and because most people in my life are know me, so they were either there and I and. And the thing is, with comedians, we all use hyperbole. So it's the worst when you're sitting there and your buddy was with you, and you like add a little bit of extra something. They're like, "No, no, I was standing that next to you. You didn't <laughs> rob the bank, dude. Like, 
Like, yeah, you held the door open for a lady, but don't act like you fucking robbed a bank and then blew it. Yeah. And then you <laughs> asked for a roll of quarters. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, come on. But still, like, a, a good storyteller, you need to have a little hyperbole. And, and, and I think most people know that and they appreciate it. But what I'm about to tell you is 100% truth. There is no hyperbole here. This is what happened. And I don't want to build it up. It's not. It's just. Uh, it's the. It's. It's a horror. Like if you're a comedian or if you've ever been on stage of any kind, this is like the worst thing that could happen. Okay, All right, so let's hear it. I'm. I am 17 uh, years old. Um, I'm in high school. Um, and I go to school with. Uh, there was an actor. I don't. His his name was uh, Tim Busfield. Uh, he was in Thirty Something. He's an Emmy award winning actor. Well, his son was my best friend. Um, that's really just a small part of the story only because his dad owned a theater in Sacramento. Um, and, and this theater was called B street theater. And I was in high school and I did the, uh, the, the, uh, we hosted the talent show, you know, and I was like Dr. Evil. And I, I got a taste for, I was always like, uh, I remember the first day of class, I, you know, I went to a very strict Catholic school, but it was a college prep school. So, um, you know, you could you choose your classes, and I don't know if they do that in public school. <laughs> it's probably the same thing, but uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, when I would walk into class, basically what would happen is people would, like, get stoked, and you would see people, people celebrate. Like, yes, Corey's here. He's going to fuck around all semester, and we're going to have a good time in this class. <laughs> and, and I actually, I actually got good grades only because I had some amazing teachers. And but it was not easy because I have ADD, um, like ADHD, like. Uh, and my parents refused to put me on medication because you know they're good people. Um, uh, not to say that if you know you put your kids on medication, you're gonna notice I ramble too because I'm ADD. So anyways, so, 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 uh, in high school, you know, everyone, you know, it, I, anyways, Willie, Willie Busfield was his name. He was like, dude, you're so okay. funny. Uh, my dad, you know, is an actor. He won an Emmy award. You're, you're like funnier than any of the actors I've ever been around. And I used to hang around sets when he was on movies. So he was basically like, dude, you should, you should become a comedian. Like you should do comedy. You should, and then, and then, um, so we had to do a book report, and I read a book uh, on Richard Pryor, Prior Convictions, and um, and I remember reading the book, and it, it had uh, Richard Pryor knew when he wanted to become a comedian because he was running across the line and he slipped in some shit, and everyone on the on the front uh, porch started laughing, and he loved that feeling of laughter so much that he got up, ran back, and did it again. He slipped through this again <laughs> because, because, and, and, and when I read that, I knew what he was talk, talking about. I didn't care how much I, trouble I would get into in class. I would get sent to the principal's office, uh, but it, it, I mean, making people laugh was, I, I can honestly tell you, I felt like what I was put on this earth to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a bad looking dude, but I'm definitely not a supermodel. And like, I, I can promise you that most of the girls I've ever gotten, it, it was because I was funny. Like it was never, it's never been because I had abs or I'm six, five or, you know, even my face. Yeah. Is cute. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I had to develop 
a personality where my tits should be. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but like, well, I guess that 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 analogy doesn't work because I guess yeah, you probably I, shouldn't have tits. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did develop a personality where my pretty face would be, but but tits okay, sounds funnier. You, <laughs> but uh, that would that would. And if you, yeah, <laughs> but we'll roll with it. We'll okay. roll with it. <laughs> we'll, we'll roll with it. Okay. So, so, um, getting into it, um, basically what happened is Willie basically said, um, you know, uh, you, sh- you should, uh, you should try comedy. And I was like, okay. Um, and so he was doing these three act plays and, um, the three act plays were basically what I was going to do was I was going to come out, do comedy, introduce a play, come out, do comedy, introduce a play, or they were one act plays, So there, there wasn't three acts, but there was like three or four plays. And, and now mind you, I had never done stand up in my life. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to do like three minutes at an open mic. And then, and then, um, and when you get that funny, you add more time, right? Yes. And yes, that's that's the goal anyway. So so that's that's the goal, right? And then so when that's funny, you have three, and then you have six minutes, and then you have nine minutes, and then you know after that, I'm not good at math, like I said. So uh, so basically, what happened was I invited everyone. I mean, you know, this is high school. Word got around. I was excited. Corey Polster's gonna do comedy. You know, this is. Um, this was like, you know, like tell everyone you. So, but here's the other thing and you have to remember, it was a theater, not a comedy club. And I'd never done comedy and I didn't think, oh, I should probably go to a comedy club and try out some of this stuff first. So the very first time I did comedy, I just wrote like 45 minutes and showed up. <laughs> and oh, Wow. Okay, so, but here's the thing, there was, okay, so this, this, uh, theater was like, in, it was like a theater in the round, so half the people there, like a hundred people there was my friends, family, like everyone I knew in high school, but mainly like, like, you know, my family, my mom was in the front row, the other half were like thespians and, and theater goers, and people that wanted to see these three act plays, so there's like two, 250 people, you know, in there. And I still remember it to this day. It's filmed, and I've never watched it. But I'm wearing a velour. <laughs> I'm wearing a velour suit, um, and I'm. St- it's starting to hit me. Like I'm about to try to make you know 250 people laugh for the next 45 minutes, and I've never done stand up a day in my life. But I, I, you know, you the adrenaline hits you, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck it. So I go out there, and I'm, I'm doing great at first um i think i stole some jokes on accident like now as a comedian i, I always like watch a lot of comedy and make sure that i'm not taking from someone else because if you see yeah. a lot of comedy sometimes you don't know like oh shit i didn't think of that you know like you subconsciously hear something right. and it uh pops into your head while you're on stage exactly even. yeah exactly like they used to call robin williams robin robin but the difference between robin williams and someone like uh, Carlos Mencia is Robin Williams. If he found out that he took somebody's joke, he would send them like a couple thousand dollars with an apology letter. I don't know if this is a rumor or not, but like if he, if he found out like it was a lot different than Carlos Mencia who just blatantly takes up, up and coming. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, that's the worst because if you think about it, you're up and coming, you have this amazing joke that could sit, that 
take you to the next level. And then this guy comes along and says it. So then now every time you tell that joke, they're like, dude, he stole that from Carlos Mencia. And it's like, no, I remember writing that in my room at three in the morning. Like I put my fucking blood, sweat and tears in this joke. And now for it's forever, this assholes. That's why I have a big problem with people still jokes. Anyways, back to the main story. So, so I'm on stage and you have to, you have to remember I am 17, 18 years old. All I have to talk about is sex and drinking, but I didn't have life experience. So, and and that's where, that's where comedy is different. If you're, if you're a um, musician or an athlete and you don't make it by 25, it is really hard. But a comedian, by the time you hit 30 or 40, that's when you're like, you've lived enough life that you could talk about anything. And the more life experience you have, the funnier you are. So that's the the difference there. Like, you know, you don't see a lot of old rappers break out. You see, I mean, you see all the old rappers, but they've been around forever. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, story's drawing to an end, by the way. So I, I know I keep rambling here. But so basically what happened is I'm on stage. I'm being pretty filthy because I just, that's, you know, I'm a 17-year-old kid. I don't, you know, I'm talking like, okay, so I'll give you an example. Um, since this is, I'm like ashamed of this joke because I've learned so much since I've been doing comedy so long. First of all, women control the crowd. So one of like my first, like these jokes that I said is like, you're you're immediately going to lose the crowd if you say some shit like this. But I went on on stage, and it's not original. But I go, um, you know why guys like getting blowjobs? Because women can't talk with a dick in their mouth. And, okay, so... so Yeah, probably not a good way to open the show unless you're known for being like Dice Clay. Mind you, well, it was like five, ten minutes in. So still not like if you're going to get dirty, what you do is you get people to like you and then you can offend the shit out of them. That's what Louis C.K. does. Louis C.K. will tell you his jokes, jokes. But then at the end, he'll talk about, you know, you know, his, the filthiest things ever. And but you're like, ah, but he made me laugh for the last 45 minutes. So fuck it. Anyway, right on. Right on. I, the, so how'd not, the joke go over this time? OK, so this is where it gets really bad. So about, so I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into it. I say, um, uh, this is, it's important that I repeat this. So I go, uh, guys, you know, like why we like getting blowjobs because women can't talk with a dick in their mouth. And right when I say that a woman stands up with her baby, she had a baby, a, a newborn baby. Like I said, no hyperbole, no exaggeration. And she goes, that's it. This is disgusting. I can't sit through this anymore. And I go, see, this is what I'm talking about. Someone put a dick in her mouth. And then half the crowd that knew me lost it. The other half of the crowd like stood up. And so basically the crowd starts yelling. They're, I'm standing on stage with a microphone. And they're, let it finish. Shut the fuck up. I'll kill you. Like they're fighting. Like they're yelling oh, at wow. each other. So there's just 250 people. Half of them are on my side. The other half are these thespian goers that are like, he's disgusting. How? And and the woman's like baby's crying and her husband stands up. He's trying, he's like shaking his fist like he's going to kick my ass. But you know, like it, it was, it was like a nightmare. And I just dropped the mic and I went backstage and there was a bottle of Jack Daniels. And I grabbed the Jack Daniels and I took a fat swig and I just remember like going like, oh my God, this is the end of my career. Like, what? What the fuck just happened? (laughs) Like, 
I just, I just think I got these were jokes. But what I don't, what I realize now is, in a comedy club, you could probably even get away with it because people are, a lot of those people weren't expecting that. You know, they weren't at a comedy show; they were at a three act play show. Who just happened to have this guy who was gonna tell some jokes? You know, like Don Rickles type jokes, like you know, like yeah. oh my. My wife's so ugly when uh when she walks in the room, the mice jump on chairs, like stuff like that. Not like, hey, put a dick in her mouth, jokes. So, so they're yeah. fighting. I go in the back. So the the original crowd leaves except for my friends, and my, and then I'm backstage, and I hear my mother to this day. She goes, "Cora, come back out. You're hilarious. Come finish." So I go. So I I, I mean, where <laughs> gotta was love I gotta go? where was I comedy go? shows. Yeah, totally. So I so I go back out, grab the microphone, and I finish. I finish the jokes that I had and um, bring out the play. But then people just started leaving because they the, the plays were horrible. And the, the shittiest part was the, uh, the, Willie, the one that gave me the break. It kind of um, it kind of fucked up our friendship because uh, somebody said that like because I was scheduled for two nights. But the second night people showed up and they were like, hey, is Corey is Corey? Uh, hosting again and as soon as he's like no because he made the right decision because you know people were yeah. it, but they turned around so they had to cancel the second night because the only people that showed up wanted to hear this like fa- like this this young comedian basically like destroy people and say disgusting dice clayish stuff but I mean and, and, and by the way I think the only thing that might be a little bit of embellishment is that is how horrible I was because um it's it's just the people that were there for me knew me and they were ready to hear this stuff. The people yes. that were there to see plays and they you know they had maybe their like a baby with them and, and you know it's not like I just went up there and I was like you know said the filthiest words possible. I had some actual jokes. I, I spent a lot of time writing this material, and and so basically so so this is what happened so i get done with the show and i mean i'm mortified i don't know i have to see these people at school um you know and high school kids aren't good at, at like hiding like if like you would know but it like got around like that i was hilarious like dude you should have been there like crowd was like it was almost like an epic story to them but <laughs> i didn't but you got to understand this this the show was on a friday and um so all weekend, I was like, I didn't know. And my friends are my friends. They're like, no, dude, you were great. Like, they have to say that. So what I decided was, I was like, I'm going to a place called Laughs Unlimited. It's in old Sacramento. It's called Old Sac. That was one of the first jokes. <laughs> wow, you're from a place called Old Sac. Uh, um, and uh, Old Sacramento, they had this comedy club. And on Wednesdays, they had this really nice guy, uh, Del Van Dyke. He, he, like, and I started taking a class with him. And uh, six months later, I won a competition. And, and then I just kind of like, I, because it was either, it was such a horrifying experience that I was like, I have to be better than this. I had to prove that I was funnier than that show and in the horrifying experience I went through. So I just started going to open mics and doing three minutes and five minutes and until, you know, somebody saw me and was like, Hey, open for me, do five minutes or, you know, do this show. And then I took classes so that I could get to know other comics because 90% of your gigs come from other comics when you're starting out, you know? Um, and, and then that's, and so then after two years, that's when I was tearing shit up, so to speak. Um, and I was like, 
I'm going to uh, Los Angeles. And uh, like I said, that was not easy because my, I think my family's a little bit happier about it now because, um, you know, they, well, I mean, they still kind of used my college money to finance me coming down here, but still, you know, but <laughs> you went to a different kind of school. Exactly. You didn't necessarily go to a university where you might not actually use the degree. So, exactly. you know, that's not bad. That's not, you know, the, hopefully they see that, that the investment was good for them or good for you anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, my question, next question for you though, is, uh, who were your influences as far as comedically growing up? Um, uh, that's easy. Uh, um, Eddie Murphy easily when I saw raw, I mean, I mean, who, who the moonwalk is the dumbest dance ever. Hey baby, want to dance? Okay. See you later. <laughs> like, <laughs> like is genius. And then, but I'll be honest with you by the time I was like ready to understand what comedy was and the, and like, start reading about it and reading about these um heroes of mine like Richard Pryor and uh it was Chappelle killing him softly I watched that and I was like holy shit like how that is a great special I mean from beginning to end there's like I've watched specials where I'm like you know 60% of it is funny And, and it's funny enough to be like oh yeah that was was pretty funny but then you know you know sometimes you're just like yeah there, there's a there's some lulls but it's still it, it, it's like it's funny enough that you could like repeat you could there was quotable things but Dave Chappelle from beginning to end like and in in the way like one of the things about comedy that I I that I love is that you have an ability to change people's minds by because when they if you if I wanted to talk to you about systemic racism or guns you're gonna and you're you're on the right or something you're gonna put your guard up like all right I I gotta you know I gotta start defending Trump here I gotta like you know but if you're (laughs) if you're at a comedy show and I make like um you know I forget his name he just did a great uh bit about the same thing like where he talks about like because he's from Australia Jim Uh, yeah he did the whole gun joke and um, and it was and it was dead on. But Chappelle did the same thing where he he talked about um, Monica Lewinsky. And I remember I remember this was like you know two thousand one or what. So this was fairly new when it was like you know four or five six years old when it happened. And, and Chappelle goes, "Ladies, how do you feel about Monica Lewinsky?" And every woman in the crowd booed. Every woman booed. And he goes, "Oh come on! Every woman in this crowd has." some dick they're not proud of and it wasn't the president of the United States who <laughs> some nigga that works at Kenny Shoes or something. You all have skeletons in your closet. And it was like listening to it was like he's so right. Like every woman in that crowd is judging this poor woman, but the most powerful man in the world who has game, I'm sure. I mean he's fucking he's Bill Clinton, you know, like he shakes babies and you know, or kisses babies. Like I, you know, he was, people have said he's a, shaking a very, babies like, is not good. <laughs> shaking babies is not good. Yes. Yes. He's, he's a baby shaker. Uh, a baby maker. Let me shake you. Hey, come here. Let me shake you up. But, uh, uh, you know, there's stories that he's just, um, you know, he's got charm and yeah, if you look at him and you're, but look at rock stars, man. Like you're telling me, John Mayer is like gets you know vagina because 
because of his good looks. No, it's because he your body is a wonderland. Oh shit, and the panties are up. But he's like a talent. That was sexy, a perfect man. impersonation. Talent. That was a perfect impersonation. <laughs> your body is. I wanna <laughs> run through the halls of my high school. Yeah, but, but like no, it's like talent is sexy, man. Talent is the sexiest thing in the world, and whether that talent is being like. Like, like if you look at anybody that I'm not even talking, I'm talking like talent sometimes gets, um, it gets, uh, put into this corner of like a, a musician or a, a artist or entertainer. But if you're a talented, um, doctor, a talented, uh, uh, politician, if you're good at what you do, it's sexy, man. Like, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Alicia Keys. Uh, and and um, same thing with um, what's her name? The chick that sings "Hello," fucking Adele. Adele. Tell okay. me, tell me when when um, uh, the reason why I bring this up is because I was at a concert and there was a, a female there that was like kind of cute. She was she wasn't like as soon as she started the instrument, I she became a ten because you were like, oh, oh my god, that is so hot. Like the fact that you're not just like <laughs> yeah. walking around in heels, crying like, "Oh my god, they made my cosmo all fucked up." Ew! Ah, I tanned wrong. Like you know, like when when you're when, like this. It's funny. My favorite place in the world is Santa Cruz, because like you'll see a woman there. She'll have her hair up. She'll have glasses. She'll be reading like Herman Hess, Siddhartha, but she'll be a knockout. And and sh- and she'll be like on her break from like Whole Foods or whatever you know, fucking uh, hipster place, and that they have there. But it's like I love it because it's like you can actually have conversations with these women. We're in Hollywood. Don't get me wrong; there are some amazing, amazing women here that aren't like that. But it's pretty true when you get down to it about like it's like you know, if people become friends with their friends because it's who they know and do we look good in this picture together? Like I couldn't imagine doing that. Right. Uh, Yeah. Me neither. Uh, Where were you going with the Alicia Keys and uh, Adele thing though? Let's hop back on that. uh, Alicia Keys and Adele. Are they not that much uh, more beautiful because of their skill? That was where I'm going. Okay. Yeah. I can definitely see that. You gotta understand Beyonce, all the, the regular artists that are like, like, you know, have perfect bodies, you know, and, but, but, um, Alicia Keys and Adele are, you know, they're bigger women. They're not, and they don't use their sexuality as much, but they're still sexy. That was just my point is that they don't have the bodies that a lot of these women do. Okay. All right. Alicia Keys. So, um, you know, uh, know who she reminds me of or what she reminds me of. You know Looney Tunes? There's Bugs Bunny and then the female rabbit, Babs mm-hmm. Bunny. Mm-hmm. She reminds me of the female like uh, Babs Bunny, <laughs> like Bugs Bunny's girlfriend. Like like the, the It's like, duck. I think it's the ears or like something about her face just reminds me of that. I don't know. That's funny. You know what's funny? I, <laughs> she, I mean, she's a beautiful woman. Like, I'm... It, it's, she is. I'm not knocking her. I'm just no, saying. No, you she, are. If you if you saw her and you went up to her and said, you look like fucking bitchy bunny or whatever in the name. Or not bitchy bunny. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I know but well, whatever her name was, uh, Barbara Bunny or whatever. Barbara. I think it's like Babs Bunny Babs, or something like yeah. that. I, I don't know. I'm Babs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, no, I'm, 
honestly, I say that with like the the kindest heart. I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I like cartoons a little too much, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong. But there's nothing right. like you didn't say you didn't like her. You just said she reminded. But there are people. It's funny. Like um, I wish I could send you. A, I wish people could see. Like when uh, I, I, you know, how friends try to find doppelgangers of their other friends that are celebrities. I, I, may, I found the perfect one of myself, and it's basically if Ryan Felipe and Luis Guzman had a baby. And if you like, if if you see a picture of me, and then you put those two pictures next to each other, you're gonna laugh because it's so funny. I'm looking at your picture on Skype right now, actually, <laughs> and I can. I can kind of see it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if you put the Ryan, well, Ryan Felipe when I was younger, I'm definitely more Luis Guzman now because I have the overlapping forehead thing going. <laughs> like my friends call me DJ DJ Caveman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people have the like I don't know what's called a, a bridged nose where my my forehead kind of kind of hides my eyes. Okay, all right. I can't quite <laughs> tell in this picture, but um, I'll, I'll have to have to investigate here. So yeah, it's um. Right. We were talking earlier, and you mentioned something about uh, comedy um, affecting like your relationships. Yes, yes. In life, um, do you want to go into that a little bit? No. Yes, of course I do. Uh, All right, fine. No, you don't have to talk about it. We can. No, no, no. I do. We can I think... talk about sloping foreheads. <laughs> you're so right, man. Like, yeah, I, I'm glad you're good at this because I am Mr. Tangent. Like, you'll ask me about comedy, and then I'll start talking about Alicia Keys playing an instrument, like, and it makes it sexy. But uh, okay, uh, you know, as far as that goes, first of all, you have to understand as a comedian. It's not just the road thing. It's you're sharing your life on stage. You're so if there's if there's something that your girlfriend does that's super funny and 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 you when you're in okay, have you ever have you ever seen these chicks that basically they'll have a conversation with somebody and then they'll post they'll take a screenshot and post it on online? Yes, I am I've seen those so posts. against that because I feel like there's this unwritten contract when you're talking to somebody, um, you know, unless you're like on Tinder and you're like, hey, baby, you want a bone? And you're just being gross. And like, but if you're like with somebody, gross, that's my pickup. Line. Right. right. <laughs> but like, you know, like if you're talking to a friend or something and you and, and I'm not talking about something sweet or something that people would like, I'm talking about something that would demonize because it takes it out of context. Like if you're dating a girl and she and is like, it said like, well, you're being a bitch. But before, like her whole sentence was like, you're a dick and just all these mean things. But she posts the one part where you're like, you're being a bitch. And so all her friends gang up on you. My whole point with that is, is like, like with comedy, it's, 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 it's inauthentic if you, if you don't talk about the things that happen. So in relationships, um, like what I do personally is because I'm single now, um, I, I just basically talk about. Like I basically, if if I talk about dating, um, if I talk about like uh, a certain girl, it's I I make like it might be like eight different girls this thing came from, but I talk about it like it's one because okay. it would because it would it be a little less yeah because it'd be too it would be too confusing. hard to be like oh no not the girl before but the one before that like you know not the one you know unless it was prudent to the joke that I had to be like oh yeah the time that you know when I was with the deaf girl or you know and I and I had to point out that but like 
um, for, for the most part, I make it like this fake chick that's uh, basically a combination of all the crazy things that the, you know, like the chicks I've dated or done or gone through. But as far as it actually affecting relationships, like I was engaged. I was with a girl who I loved and I was with her. We lived together for six years. Um, and I loved this girl more than anything on this planet, uh, as far as human beings go. But she was about to turn 30, um, and she wanted kids and she wanted a house. And basically she was like, look, you, you're, you're, I love, I respect your dream. But my dream is to have kids and family, and I knew that I couldn't do those things. I couldn't um, get a day job and not do comedy. Basically, it was me or comedy, with a, with without it being like um, the ultimatum like that. But it that's what it would have been because there's no way you can be a comedian like and. And you can be a comedian, but it's not a you. You can't do it like once or twice a month and ever go anywhere. Yeah, you can't you know do it as a career and have exactly. You uh, you can do it like oh yeah, I um it's fun like and I'll go do this open mic. But if you want to make the you know you want to get to that next level and you want to make the world laugh, which I would love to make the world laugh. I don't want to do it for money or fame. I just love walking into a room and there's 500 people and they're like, oh, fuck, my car got stolen or I lost my job. But Corey said that one thing about fucking Russians being the craziest motherfuckers ever. And and, in, and for that one moment, they're like, oh, they're like, it alleviates whatever they're going through. You know what I mean? And and, you know, like where else where else do you, you need each other? Like comics need a crowd. Um, you know, there's, yes. there's not a lot of like, there's not a lot of other professions where you need the crowd, you know, like you can go, I mean, um, for music or radio, but like you can go record, um, you know, your album or demo by yourself. You can go, but you can't, you know, go into a studio and record a comedy album. Like, and I'm not talking about like, uh, Adam Sandler, like where it's like improvish comedy. I'm talking about like actual standup, you know, and then put An a actual laugh set. track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why every, you know, that's why every single one since the beginning of time has been filmed. You can listen to it, but you always hear the live laughter. Yeah. But my, my, I guess, I guess my whole point was that um, it really hurt, and 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 I love this girl, and I couldn't, I couldn't give up this. I loved it too much. I love making people laugh, and when it came down to it. You know, she made her choice and I made mine and I don't regret mine because I love making people laugh. And I'm, I, it's probably one of the only things I'm good at. Like, like <laughs> I, like I, I, I think I had a chance to talk to you before. Um, and I told you, I, I am more comfortable on stage than I am at a dinner party. Like, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. It's weird. Like, like if I'm in a grocery store in line. Like I get, I have to have my earbuds in, like, I don't, you know, I don't feel like the government is chasing me. I just get really, but it's weird. I don't mind if I'm on stage and there's 300 people looking at me, judging me with a microphone. 
because I know what I'm there to do. And you learn the most. Like, this is for all the people who are thinking about being comedians. If you think you're just going to go up there and you're going to read some books or take some classes and you think you're just the funniest person ever, um, it just doesn't work like that. You you might go up there the first couple times and do pretty well, but they might even introduce you as like, oh, this person's new, and they might cut you a break or whatever. But it's not going to yeah. last. You need to just you need to keep going on stage, and you need to hone those skills. But my point is is that I've always learned the most from bombing. So those times where where you murder. I'm like walking on fucking sunshine. Like, yeah, I just killed, but I didn't learn anything. Not saying I looked a bomb because I love, I love killing. And to be honest, it's not like I bomb really anymore, but there are times where certain jokes don't work. And those are the times where I go home and I am, I pull out my notes and I listen to what I recorded and I go over and I try to make it the best it can be because if 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 it just murders, then you can't get any better than better best. Right on. That's yeah. that's interesting, man. Yeah, you need to be on stage to learn how to do it. All right, that actually almost kind of answers my next question, but uh, we kind of kind of start wrapping things up. We're close to that hour now. Mm-hmm. What other advice that you have for yeah. upcoming comedians sure. that uh, you could give real quick? Sure. Number one. Hang out at the comedy club. Always hang out at the comedy club, even if you're not performing. But if you are there and they ask you, um, because you need to introduce introduce yourself to the management. You need to introduce yourself to whoever is the talent person there, and they need to see that you're there. And what they're going to do is they're going to test you. They're gonna they're not going to throw you up. Um, they're they're gonna they're gonna see if like you're going to show up two or three times and be like, ah, screw these people. They're not going to put me up. Um, they want to know how bad you want it. Um, two, okay. don't don't try to learn to do comedy at the major comedy clubs. Go to an open mic. Uh, go to and then work your way up and then get a good fifteen minutes. And then when make sure when you like and when I say a good fifteen minutes, I mean like you're only ever gonna get like three, sometimes seven to prove yourself. Um, but don't ever turn down a mic and, and one of the most important things is do bringer shows. I know it sucks. I, you'll hear comedians talk so much shit about bringer shows. You know what I, for those of you who don't know, uh, for those people who don't know what a bringer show is, you want to explain that just a little bit? Yeah. A bringer show is basically they, they allow you, uh, they allow you a certain amount of stage if you invite people. Um, and, and so you have to sell tickets like, uh, they, they do it at like the whiskey, they do it at like, they do it for bands too. Like basically you have to sell like these $10 tickets. Um, and then, um, and you have to sell a certain amount. And then, and then when your people come, like if you only had two people come, you'll go at the end of the night. If you had 20 people come, you get the prime spot when everyone's liquored up and they're ready to laugh. Um, the, the, the point I'm making about bringer shows that is so important is that I, when I first got here, if I was in Sacramento or San Francisco, I could have, I could have brought up people all the time, but I, instead of like spending my money on alcohol or whatever, I would pay, I would pay for my own, I would like, so, so let's say you get 10 bringer tickets and they're 10 bucks each. So that's a hundred bucks. I would buy them. I would spend a hundred dollars and then throw them in the trash because 
once you hand them the hundred dollars, they write down Corey has 10 people here. So even if nobody like even like I wouldn't just throw them in the trash. Like I'd invite people and if they were like, no, I'd be like, hey, the ticket's free. Like because I tried to sell tickets and it's just too hard when you're starting out. Now I can I can get people to come to shows because I've been doing it long enough and I don't do bringer shows. But um, but when you're starting out, you're going to have to, especially in this city, New York, Chicago, places like that, uh, where where you like flappers, places out in Burbank that have like they're, they're basically that's what they are. They're bringer shows. They want you to, because if the problem is, is people aren't going to go to a comedy show to see a bunch of people trying material who are new. They're going to go see Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, but those guys aren't always at the comedy club. So they have to be open other nights. And so, so what a bringer show is, is basically it's where it allows like new people to be seen. That's like, I got seen at a bringer show. By Mitzi Shore, okay. and it was by accident because I uh, the host got double booked, and they called me last minute. So my advice here is just if you are doing a bringer show, like I don't if you it, it depends how bad bad you want it. You hear people sleeping in their cars and stuff. Yes, I spent a hundred dollars on tickets. Uh, so every time I did a bringer show, it, it, it looked like I had ten people there, and I got a prime spot. But because of that. It looked like I always had people there and I always got a good spot and I always murdered it when I was put up because the worst thing is, is when you don't have anyone there and everyone's gone from the crowd. You go up at midnight and, you know, there's three people in the crowd that are drunk and then you just don't know if your material works or not. So. Yeah, I agree. And plus, it's all it's always harder to get a vibe off of three people than, say, oh. 50 people to 100 people. And, you know, it's... I prefer a packed room over a laughter's contagious. Bedroom. That's why laughter's contagious. And and um, I was reading. Um, it's a psychology thing. You know, a new comic when they get on stage and like they cover their eyes because it's so bright. The reason why is you see the one person not laughing, you think you're bombing. The other thing is is when people can see each other, they don't laugh like is as much because they're self-conscious but if like if you go to a place like the comedy store it's completely dark you got to love the waitresses that's why you need to tip them because it's so <laughs> dark um it's hard for them to move around but people will laugh louder and with their whole body because people can't see them. oh that guy can see me right there you just kind of yeah yeah you just kind of let go of like where you are and like but you know people are self-conscious people and laughter is contagious so the darker the room is uh, you know it um, in the crowd, the more you'll let go. And all right. Yeah. All right. That makes complete sense, dude. Um, then human nature is weird. Yeah, it really is. Where can people get a hold of you or get in contact with you? you got any social media out there? Websites? I do. I have uh, CoreyPolster.com, which is my name, which is C-O-R-Y-P-O-L-S-T-E-R.com. I'm the only Corey Polster, so if you type that into Google, that'll take you to my Facebook, um, my Instagram, and my uh, Twitter. So, uh, but but also uh, CoreyPolster.com has um, links to those. I was talking to Aaron earlier. Uh, a last piece of advice is if you're a comedian, I wouldn't put everything on that you ever do on online because then people will come to your shows and they've seen and heard everything. You know what I mean? It's not like music where you can, people want to hear Billie Jean when they go see Mike. Uh, 
people get pissed if you know people got pissed like when they went and saw uh when they went and saw um uh seinfeld and he did the same act that he did a year earlier you know what i mean so yeah yeah it's kind of i i heard uh chris hardwick explain it like this is kind of like a magic trick once you see it it's done yes that's a brilliant brilliant yeah unless unless it's on like like a dvd and you want to watch it again like when you like i could watch killing him softly because it's just so funny but like or putting on a record and listening to you know uh richard Pryor, that nigga's crazy or whatever but you get i totally get that's a perfect point like it's not it's because that's what a that's what a joke is it's a the punchline is a surprise now it could still be funny but the surprise isn't there you yeah. know like people so so i love that analogy and it's so dead on but yeah um that that was my my final point as far but as far as is finding me yeah my website well that, that pretty much will link you to everything um once again that's c-o-r-y don't put any in my name i don't know why people do pollster um <laughs> yeah all right all right cool i'll i'll have that in the show notes as well so people can uh click on that and uh and find you and all your um, all your links to your other social media as well. I have one more question that I ask every uh, guest that I have on the show. Mm-hmm. How do you live uncontained? How do I live uncontained? Well, um, I see, I see people who I, I came from a place where um, you know people got married by the time they were thirty. Um, I've seen people who didn't chase their dream. Um, I watched a lot of. Uh, uh, I always say Tim Robbins, Tony Robbins. Um, <laughs> and, and what I've learned from, from anybody who's successful is that if you, if you make your dreams ancillary, if you make them second important to house and kids and, um, or anything, if you take away your passion, you, you become a robot and, and it's, it's sad to see, it's sad to see these, you know, someone sitting in traffic, like, you know, like listening to your podcast. No, no, but like, really like, like, like really like, God, I wish I could do something like that. I wish I could do what, what Aaron's doing or, or, oh man, you know, this guy, Corey, like, I want to see him. Like, I wish I had something like that. And, and, and I'm not, it's not like, um, it's not like I feel pity, I don't know if that's the right word. I like it's it's because pity pity I think comes along the lines with like people that can't do something. You know, if you're paralyzed and it's like, hey, run that that marathon. Like, let's be honest, you you can't run, and, yeah. and that's not a joke. I, I'm, I'm being real. Like, you know, if you're paralyzed, it's just something you can't do. But if there's something that you have a passion to do, don't like. How could you not? How could you live contained? It's, it's almost, uh, it, it might seem funny, but I always knew that I wanted to make people laugh. So I, I, and it's ruined my, it's ruined my relationships, meaning like with women, cause I had to choose it over them. And it's still hard to date girls because when I'm up at five in the morning writing and I, and I'm always the most creative between two and five, or they feel like they have to share me with the crowd. Or if I have to go to San Diego overnight and oh, what girls are you talking to? Or who's this girl on your social media, <laughs> you know, and you, and, and there's a lot of different things that come with it, but you know what? I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Um, 
because the, there's there's nothing that compares to 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 having um what to, what you love to do there's nothing that compares to having like a crowd in the palm of your hands laughing their asses off and they love you for it and and that and that's where like if you're a musician and you're ripping that lick or if you're uh you know on the radio and you're and you're in your interview like even like someone like you watch someone like um uh rose uh charlie rose he's so yeah. inquisitive uh he's it's like he's he wants to know he doesn't just do interviews with politicians he does it with uh, writers and and it's it's so uh, actually you your show very much reminds me of a charlie rose uh because um because he 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 he's so inquisitive and he really really wants to know what like drives these people so so to answer yeah, your question yeah. without going on a tangent um i live my life uncontained because i can't i can't be a part of the rat race i wouldn't i wouldn't make it man I'm a Catholic and I'm a lapsed Catholic, but there's no way I would, I would, I, I say this like as hyperbole, but I would blow my brains out. Like I, I couldn't, and I, there are some people that are happy. Like, I'm not saying like having a house and a family is a bad thing. Like, I don't want no, people to think not. that, but if you have that paint, uh, you know, collect rocks, I don't know, but anything that brings joy to your life, just have a hobby. Yeah. It, it, yes. Just don't live contained. Like we just don't contain whatever it is that's inside you, unless you're a rapist or something. Contain that shit. <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> like you know what I mean. All right, like, I agree with that. Yeah. On that. Yeah, on that note. On that note, my friend. Uh, I have one more favor to ask of you here. Absolutely. I have. I have my guest sign off the show. Mm -hmm. Would you do me the favor? of signing off the show for me today. Okay, sounds good. My name's Corey Polster, and I live uncontained. And remember, God loves you, so do I. One love. Thanks again to Corey Polster for coming on the show today. He had some great stories and uh, some great tips, too. That whole buying your own tickets for the Bringer show and giving them away to guarantee that you'll have a crowd at the show... That's a game changer right there. I'd like to thank everybody who's been rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It's been a big help. And if you haven't been doing it yet, what the hell are you waiting for? Go to iTunes. Go to SoundCloud. Go to whatever place you listen to your podcasts and click the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. That is when you leave ratings and share, it's a huge boost to our visibility so others can find the show easier. Thank you for getting the word out. And until next time, live uncontained.